is a very good afternoon to you. It is Niall Boylan with you. Right, well, certainly for the next hour or so anyway. Can I, by the way, first before we start, thank everybody who got involved in yesterday's debate about the new proposed hate crime legislation. Now, we did do a poll on Twitter just after the show, and surprisingly, well, unsurprisingly, we got 10,000 votes onto the poll. It's not scientific, so they keep telling me, because they would be all my followers, my listeners, maybe. But we did ask people to share it, and they did retweet it across Twitter to people who probably wouldn't have the same leanings as me. And certainly, um, it is overwhelming. 97%, 97% said they did not agree with the new proposed hate crime or hate speech laws. And just to clarify again what we were talking about yesterday and when we spoke yesterday to Senator Ronan Mullen in relation to this, everybody, everybody agrees and condemns hate crimes, incitement to violence, being racist, being homophobic or any of those things. We all condemn that, but we don't condemn free speech. And unfortunately, the Minister for Justice, Helen McEntee, has made it quite clear that she doesn't want to define the word hate. She said she's got advice from two attorney generals on this, and she said she wants more prosecutions. This is a very dangerous piece of legislation. It is, it is an international embarrassment, so much so that Donald Trump Jr. and also Elon Musk has got involved in this particular debate. All across the world, people are talking about Ireland's hate speech laws. These laws will come in in August or September after the summer recess and will be signed by the president, no doubt. I would like to think he would push it forward to the Supreme Court to check it for constitutionality under freedom of expression here in Ireland because there is no definition of the word hate. The minister was asked yesterday at a press conference why she was motoring ahead with this legislation when the general public didn't need it, didn't want it. And she said there's an appetite for it. There was a need for it. She was questioned again by Grip Media saying that over 70% of public submissions that she had received in her office in relation to this legislation from two years ago when the bill was first put forward disagreed with it. She had no answer. She said that crimes or hate crimes had gone up by 29%. Now, Grip Media have asked for a full report as to where she got that fact because the reason it's gone up by 29% is because we now have a different reporting system. In other words, if somebody is assaulted and it's a hate crime, Of course that's horrible. Of course that should be condemned. But that person is already covered under legislation. And that legislation is assault. That person should go to jail. If somebody is really mean and nasty and incites violence against another person or suggests on social media or anywhere that we should beat somebody up or kill somebody, of course that's a threat to life. It's also illegal in Ireland to do something like that. This is all covered in law. Incitement to Hatred, the Incitement to Hatred Act 1989, is also covered in law. And as we speak, Sharon Keoghan, Ronan Mullins, uh, Michael McDool and many others are in the Shannon right now speaking in defence of the general public, whereas the government are pushing ahead with legislation that nobody actually believes we need. And this legislation, although may not see many people in court, gives the Garda Sheikhana the power to go into your home, seize your documents, your computers, your devices, if they suspect you might be in possession of hated or hateful material, even if you've no intention of using it, that is taking away your freedoms. They also may prosecute you if you say something that offends another person that they deem to be hateful against their community. And that will be up to a judge to decide. We've seen what has happened many and many times in those situations. So all I will say to you is before we move on today is contact your local representatives, contact your local TDs, Contact all your local politicians in your area. Tell them the next general election is coming soon. And if you object to this law, 
tell them you object to it and tell them not to vote for it. They've already voted 110 against 14, which is ridiculous because they're voting with their parties. Many of them don't even know what's in the legislation. It's a dangerous piece of legislation because it takes away your right to express yourself. And it also puts fear in people. Fear that people may not be so open in talking about things that are important. Because of that fear, people may not put stuff up on social media. They may not put stuff in newspapers or on television or on radio or podcast or whatever it is for fear that they may be prosecuted. That fear is enough to stifle free speech and debate. It's very important, so please stay on it. We will stay on it, and we will come back to it again probably next week sometime. But first, I think what's also equally important is to discuss this case in the United Kingdom because it has got so much traction now at this stage. And this is, of course, in relation to a woman in the UK who took abortion pills at 24 weeks or should I say 32, the 34 weeks, beyond the 24-week statutory limit in the UK. The statutory limit in Ireland is 12 weeks and up to 22 in exceptional cases. She was jailed for 28 months. Carla Foster, a 44-year-old mother of three, pleaded guilty to the offence of administering poison with intent to procure a miscarriage, but only pleaded guilty at the latter stages of the trial. She obtained abortion drugs through a telephone conversation and uh, a service that was launched during the pandemic, which was intended for uh, people at the start, at the early stages of pregnancy, up to 10 weeks. She lied. And the reason she lied is, according to the evidence of the police, she went online at 32 weeks pregnant and Google searched, is it illegal to have an abortion after 22 weeks? Google would have told her it was. So then she lied to get the abortion pills. The coroner said that the baby never took a breath of life. But the coroner couldn't be sure if the child would have survived if she had been in a hospital setting. Either way, it can carry a sentence of up to life in prison. There was another case back in 2012 where somebody was given eight years, but on reflection, they reduced the sentence to three years. In this particular case, the judge said he was empathetic and he understood there was remorse on behalf of Carol Foster. And he understands she believed she knew she did something wrong. But because she didn't plead guilty at the early stages of the case and put the court through, the magistrate's court, through the whole process, he jailed her, a mother of three, for 28 months. Now, a lot of people in the UK, including many organisations, campaigners, MPs, are now calling for the decriminalisation. Because in England, similar to Ireland, they have legislation. In England, it's called Section 58 of the Offences Against a Person Act it's 1861. It's a very old piece of legislation. Yes, it may need updating, but it's there for that purpose, Section that section. Now, in Ireland, the Supreme Court decided before the last referendum that the unborn child had no rights. And currently at the moment, there are campaigners in Ireland, very similar to this, campaigning to have abortion decriminalized. That means that after the 12-week period, if a doctor, for whatever reason, decides to carry out an abortion, even after a 22-week period, that there is no criminal sanction, which currently there is, of 14 years. But the big debate at the moment is, should she have put? Should they have put a mother of three in jail? Because seemingly she was quite depressed at the time, went to a very difficult period in her life, and it was during a pandemic. I want to know what you think today. And I want you to text at 085 100 55. That's, oh, sorry, 085 100 55. That's 085-100-2255. Please text us, please WhatsApp us and get involved in the conversation. Joining me is Eilish, our Eilish Mulroy 
and she is a spokesperson for the pro-life campaign and she's been with us before. Eilish, good afternoon to you. Good afternoon, Niall. Um, it's a very complicated case, although straightforward enough in the sense that the law has been broken, but complicated in a sense that here is a woman and many women who are pro-choice, I suppose, more so would say was going to a very difficult pregnancy, a very good, difficult time in her life. I believe she had broken up with a boyfriend and, and met up with another one or her old boyfriend was back in. It was a complicated scenario. It was during a pandemic where there was no face-to-face meetings with doctors or services available. And she took advantage of a service that she lied to, BPAS, and lied to them um, to get the abortion pills, which sadly um, took the life of her unborn child. Should she have gone to jail? It's a really tough, tough uh, situation, uh, Niall. I mean, I think if you look at um, abortion laws throughout the world, there are always criminal uh, sanctions, most cases criminal sanctions attached to those in order to make sure that you don't have, I mean, private individuals carrying out abortions on women at late term or, you know, dangerous scenarios for women. So criminal sanctions um, are, are are a reality um, in, in many statutes, most statutes. The, the, the sad part about this really, and I think the really exploitative thing that's happening is that the British Pregnancy Advisory Service who, which is the biggest, one of the biggest abortion providers in, in the UK. Um, we did contact their spokesperson because I know they have been on British news at the moment demanding that she be released from jail and that the law be changed. So we did try to contact them and unfortunately they couldn't make themselves available for us today. Yeah, and that's regrettable. But I, I think that it's, it's, it's interesting to see that it's BPAS, the organisation that actually created this scenario, uh, who, who who sent the pills to this woman uh, 22, uh, 22 full weeks after the, the limit, um, who are now kind of exploiting the case and really coldly and cruelly um, using the case to push for um, decriminalization of abortion up to birth, which, as we know, when there's no criminal sanctions, and you rightly um, pointed out that some there are some calls for that here in Ireland too, it means that uh, an abortion can be performed by a doctor, by a non-doctor, uh, on a woman um, up until nine months, um, um, with no with no repercussions as a result of that, and that's not a scenario I think that anyone wants to see. Um, we had a very the, famous case in Ireland. I don't know you though the historical aspect of this, which is Nurse Cadden. I'm sure. I mean, maybe I, I don't know what you know of Nurse Cadden. Uh, people often refer to Nurse Cadden uh, in, I suppose, old Irish or wives' tales, but. She was a woman who went around procuring or performing abortions, backstreet abortions on women in Ireland. And uh, she was eventually caught uh, because she would perform an abortion at any point, by the way, in a, in a pregnancy. And uh, she was jailed in Ireland for that. So that, that's the kind of historical side of it. But essentially what campaigners are saying is we should go back to that. Well, I'm not suggesting backstreet abortions, but from what you're saying, if we decriminalise it, there's nothing stopping backstreet abortions. Indeed, there's nothing stopping that. And, you know, some campaigners would say, well, doctors wouldn't be able to do it because there'd be medical counsel repercussions, etc. But what would stop a private individual, for example, carrying out an abortion like a, 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 an abuser, a partner, a, you know, that kind of scenario. But I think it's really important, too, that we remember that, you know, this case and this 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 case has arisen as a result of uh, people being able to get pills by post without any in-person consultation with a doctor. Uh, COVID or no COVID, um, you know, essential medical, like ultrasound, those kind of um, things would have been available, um, should have been available. We had the same situation here where the Minister for Health 
said at the beginning of the COVID pandemic that people could um, get pills by post uh, telemedicine abortions. Um, and we know that that has created um, some very concerning situations. For example, we know that according to a report from the sexual assault treatment units, um, and which was reported in the Irish Examiner last year, a woman in Ireland was coerced, a minor actually, into a room and forced to take abortion pills. And there are no repercussions for that because we also allow telemedicine abortions. And if you look at the, the you know, this case, yeah. it's a real, it should be, it should be setting off alarm bells in government around the fact that women can access pills and end the life of a baby of this age. Remember, baby Lily, um, who, as you know, that the mother is, is it says she's plagued by nightmares around it now. It's been a terrible experience for her. Baby Lily was 34 weeks. Um, she was fully formed. Uh, she could have been born by C-section. She could have been adopted. She in, a, be, in a hospital she, setting, she, she would have survived. Absolutely. She would have she survived. Would have survived. She would be three years old uh, this month. Um, and baby Lily has lost her life as well. I think it's really important that we remember baby Lily has lost her life. But I think the mother in this scenario has been done a great disservice by the abortion uh, industry in England. Um, and I think that the government should be looking now, not at decriminalising abortion, which would allow much worse But that looks like what's going to happen, Eilish, because I'm only listening this morning, we spoke to a British MP this morning, we had tried to get on the air, and she is speaking currently in the House of Commons, uh, demanding now that this piece of legislation, which is the uh, Offences Against the Person Act 1861, now there's no doubt, by the way, if you have legislation that's 150 years old, that it needs to be updated anyway, uh, and brought into a modern world. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But they they want that legislation repealed, uh, in other words, removed from common law in Britain. Now, you know, when you look at the story, uh, and now the judge did say, by the way, that he could have given a fully suspended sentence, but he chose on this occasion not to. Now, the judge has been now referred to by campaigners as a sexist, by the way, uh, but he chose not to give uh, the suspended sentence on this occasion uh, because he said there was no early guilty plea, even though she knew she had broken the law. She tried to claim initially that she didn't know she broke the law, but then, of course, the police uh, provided evidence that she had Googled it uh, previously, so she she knew well that she couldn't have an abortion after the 22 weeks, and she, and hence she lied to BPAS, or said she lied to BPAS, and told them she was less than 10 weeks pregnant when she got those pills. But there is part of me, um, even though from a moral point of view, I think it, what she did is very wrong, that has an understanding when I talk to women who go through postnatal depression or who go through a difficult pregnancy or have a very difficult time in their lives with pregnancy. And I know she has had, already had three children. So she has three children already. And a lot of people are saying that's one of the other reasons why she shouldn't be in jail. But I do understand, or what I probably don't understand because I'm not a woman, what that can be like and how depressing that can be and how difficult a place that can be. And I'm, we're not in her shoes and we don't know how she felt at that particular moment in time. And of course, all the other circumstances around it, including COVID as well, and the lack of face-to-face communication with a counsellor, with a doctor, or with anybody who probably cared. So for that reason alone, should there be more, should there have been, there been more consideration in this case? Well, look, the individual judges will make their decision based on and they can sentence in accordance with the the, the law that's in front of them. Um, you know, but I think that this what this case shows us is a failure of society and community. And it's up to our legislators, you know, to in, like it's it's a public policy consideration that should be that should be uh, to the fore here. We need it. it the B-Pass bears major responsibility in the case instead of acknowledging that they 
failed to take reasonable steps to, to confirm they were acting with the law. They sent out those pills to that woman. There's nobody wants to see a woman in prison. Um, and that's why the law, and as you say, the, the case, you know, the situation you outlined where somebody's under pressure, you know, maybe pressure from partner. We don't know what this woman was going through. We're only reading the media reports. But that's why the law in Ireland, too, takes um, makes special provision. For example, um, Niall, in the case where, um, in, in the example of infanticide, we have an act called the Infanticide Act 1949 here in Ireland, where a mother is suffering postnatal depression and ends, kills her, her, her newborn child up to the age of one year. That's a different offence. It's not She's it's not, not classed as murder. Under yes. the murder legislation, there's a special provision for that because the court and the law is is taking account of that special um, situation that exists. But the reality is there, there is still a life ended. So in the case of infanticide, of course, it still has to remain in the criminal law, but, but, but provision is made. I think that the telemedicine thing is a huge element here and... I know you're saying, you know, Stella Creasy is not up in the House of Commons today demanding to an end of telemedicine. Well, she should be or somebody should be, because we know, first of all, we know that women have died as a result of telemedicine abortions. And that has happened. Um, I I believe there was at least one case in the UK of somebody dying as a result of taking the pills unsupervised at home. We know before the referendum here in Ireland in 2018, we were told we urgently needed to repeal the Eighth Amendment to stop women taking pills unsupervised. And yet we now have a scenario where the Minister for Health is presiding over a system where that's continuing to happen. We know as a result of parliamentary questions, there was one from Carol Nolan a couple of years ago to the Minister for Health around the topic of telemedicine abortions and why it wasn't now being discontinued post-COVID. In that reply, the HSE admitted that, you know, an in-person consultation with the doctor can be reduce the, um, the risk of um, you know, coercion, you know, so we know that 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 coercion can happen. We know. Well, we I, I, know I imagine like taking any medication, there could be contradictions if there's other medications or if there's high blood pressure or if there's other complications within the pregnancy. So I imagine there's always going to be a risk if there's, you know, if it's not a face to face consultation and and it's not discussed in that fashion. Um, That's right. Um, And I think that the idea that we're not um, encouraging the end telemedicine abortion um, women can now get to their doctors, they can get to the surgery, they can have the ultrasound. A telemedicine abortion um, carries the risk of not diagnosing things like ectopic pregnancy, which if a woman takes a pill and she's, you know, the pregnancy, there's some complication, can be complicating for her health. So what we should be seeing is calls now for the end of telemedicine abortion, um, decriminalization in general. And I and I, and I really See, believe... But I, I, sorry, just be, to interrupt you on the... Writing, Okay, I want to interrupt you on the decriminalisation because the the point and the reason we're having this conversation today and why it's relevant here in Ireland is because of the decriminalisation aspect of it. And that's what they're now demanding. And you're right, instead of BPAS, you know, kind of being more empathetic and understanding and saying we shouldn't have done this and we should have better procedures in place to make sure this doesn't happen again, they have used this now and taken advantage of this to then rid themselves of this legislation, which, of course, in turn, uh, gives people or women more freedom to have an abortion at any point in their pregnancy. But at the same time, here in Ireland, we have campaigners, very loud campaigners, who are demanding that the government, even though they didn't get their three-year review because of COVID-19, they now have a review which is going to the Citizens' Assembly, demanding that the government decriminalise. Now, they are a small amount of people, because when I've spoken about this on radio, even people who are pro-choice 
would be horrified by a story where a baby was aborted at 32 weeks because that's not what they voted for or that's what they feel they didn't vote for. But the argument from those who believe we should decriminalise is the unsurety that after the 12-week period currently in Ireland and that period between 12 and 22 weeks where in extreme or extenuating circumstances, be it fatal fetal abnormalities or whatever it happens to be, the doctors are unsure and they're afraid to do the wrong thing in case somebody comes along and says, well, actually, you didn't need to do that. You're going to jail for 14 years. And that's well, that's the why they're demanding this decriminalisation. That's why they'll tell you they're demanding it. Well, first of all, over the years that we had, uh, you know, it, it, the Offences Against the Person Act, which you refer, referenced, was also in place here until 2018. Um, I don't recall any doctor in, in recent memory, certainly in my memory, ever being criminalised um, under that piece of legislation. But the criminalisation has to be there to prevent unscrupulous individuals carrying out abortions on their the woman that they've trafficked. Or like, if you think of the kind of the kind of scenarios that could exist, and you're now if decriminalization would allow that kind of person who's not even a medical professional, it could happen, carrying out an abortion on a woman, um, there would be no criminal sanction for that. Uh, for carrying out the abortion. Now, there might be a criminal sanction if the woman died, which also could happen when you have this kind of um, mm -hmm. scenario playing out where you don't have any criminal sanctions. Nobody wants to see mothers in jail. But what's clear from this case is that instead of um, you know beating themselves up for having done this and sent out this pill um, to the woman without making sure that, you know, without taking some steps, reasonable steps to ensure that she wasn't so far along in the pregnancy, they're they're trying to shift the blame and then call for this and call for more extreme proposals. And you're right. And let's bring it all back to Ireland because, you know, we have we, we are discussing this issue. It is in the news at the moment. People did not vote for abortion up to 40 weeks. Uh, they certainly didn't vote for abortions to be able to be carried out, carried out with no criminal sanction, um, which could lead to any lots of kind of situations. Well, very well, some very people, situations. some people did vote to have it with no criminal sanctions. You know, I only recently well, spoke to a woman on the, on, on the radio and she believed that abortion should be carried out right up to birth. Now, she said, it's silly to discuss that because it doesn't happen. And I said, well, it has happened, um, you know, a day before birth. Now, there would be extremely rare cases in the United States, more likely than anywhere else, because in some states in America where they do allow it or did certainly allow it. Um, but she believes that, it's a, you know, a woman's choice doesn't have a time limit. You're right. There are people that believe that, but they are not um, the mainstream. That's a very extreme uh, fringe, I would say, of the even the people who would describe themselves as pro-choice, who would be yes voters uh, in the, re the recent referendum here. But the uh, the sad thing in Ireland, and it's just the way the debate is carried on at the moment, uh, Niall, is that those people, the organisations like the Irish Family Planning Association, the National Women's Council of Ireland, they are all calling for decriminalisation. Um, they are... All when they are challenged, they will they they do not believe in any gestational limits. They do not believe in a woman being asked any question or having to answer any have any reason uh, to have an abortion up until forty weeks. That is not a mainstream in any way mainstream view. But they are the people who have had the ear of the Minister for Health throughout. But they, the but they have the ear of the government because I, on numerous occasions when I conduct this show and I and I do try to give a level of balance. That's why I tried to call both sides of the argument, as I did again today. And I contacted many of the pro-choice campaigners and campaign organisations. We left numerous messages, as we did the last time you were on Eilish, 
uh, numerous messages. As soon as they hear there's somebody from pro-life going to be on the show as well at the same time, they're not interested. And and it is because, as you rightly said, I believe that they have the governments here anyway. They don't need to. It's similar to what I talked about at the very start of the show with the hate speech legislation, which the majority of the general public seems to disagree with because there's no definition of the word hate. But the reason they're motoring on with it is, and the reason that you will not get people on the air or on the radio or podcast who think it's a great idea is because they don't need to come on to defend it. They don't need to come on to promote it because they know the government are going to do it anyway. And I think this is probably what's going to happen. And I hate to say this, Eilish, but you're on the losing side. And I don't mean that in a disrespectful manner because they have the governments here and you don't. You know, things, things, I, I really believe things will change for the better, Niall. I agree with you that they don't want to come on and debate because they currently have, seem to have uh, the year of, of the Minister for Health, for sure. I think there are a lot of uneasy people in government. In government. I think there are a lot of uneasy um, members of Fine, Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil Parliamentary Party who voted and encouraged people to vote for repeal who are not very happy with what's happening at the moment. So we'll see how that plays out. But I think another reason why you'll find representatives of those organizations don't want to come on and debate this issue is because they they are now on the defensive the the, the stuff that has come to pass since the abortion law has 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 um, come into law in January 2019 is truly horrific the fact that we have 28,500 abortions in the first four years the fact that we have evidence that babies have been born alive after failed abortions all of these things which were poo-pooed, which were dismissed. The fact that we have a lot more people, um, based on uh, Fergal Malone's um, comments, um, about a lot more people um, choosing to end the life of their baby after a diagnosis of Down syndrome. These are all things that the No campaign back in 2018, and I don't like to be going back the way, but it is important to, 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 to note it, said, and they were dismissed by senior people within government who sold... Um, the yes vote to uh, a lot of people who I imagine, um, and there are people who get in touch with us, but I'm sure there are many people listening to this program who voted yes, who did not vote for babies to suffer pain in late term abortions. They did not vote for decriminalization to allow abortion up to 40 weeks. And the, ar- and the argument I had from I- a campaigner on the radio was they did vote for that. And I put that exact same point to them that you just said that's not what people voted for. They didn't vote for the legislation to be changed. But their argument is they did vote for that. And if they didn't think they voted for that, they're stupid because they should have checked themselves. They shouldn't have believed the government because anybody knows that governments can change. Government can change. We could get a conservative government in, you know, in six years time. I don't know. Some conservative government could form in six years time. They could come in and they could say there's no abortion at all because the government now have the choice to change that legislation. But you are right. (laughs) There are ministers and senior, including Leo Varadkar, by the way, who said he would be uncomfortable to change the legislation currently at the moment. Getting back to this particular story in the UK, which has ignited this debate, and I suppose has, like the Savita Hanapanavar case, has given this debate oxygen. If you were the judge in that case, the law is on your side, clearly, because it's illegal, and you can give life in prison if you want to. Would you put a mother of three in jail for having a late-term abortion? I think that's a... I personally wouldn't want to see any mother in jail, especially with three children at home for 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 doing this. However, there has to be um, a criminal sanction, um, as you say, when when she I mean, and I really feel so bad for this woman because it's very clear that she really regrets. I mean, I, I can only imagine what the actual experience was because it was such a 
fully formed baby. I, I, that um, that I thought went to my mind. I'm not a doctor or I don't understand the physiology yeah. of all that, but that thought went to my mind. I, you know, I imagine miscarriage is difficult enough and disturbing enough to happen to any woman, but I can only imagine what that would be like with a fully formed, essentially, uh, fetus, you know, being expelled from the body. That must have been horrific. You're right. And miscarriage is very difficult. And I can imagine this must have been horrendously difficult. And she may well have been, you know, already suffered enough having to have gone through that. I think that, again, I'm saying it's not about putting women in jail. The BPAS have a huge responsibility here and the British government for allowing telemedicine to continue. There are many organizations in, in, in England who've been campaigning to end telemedicine abortion because it's dangerous for women. There's no ultrasound. It's not possible to date the pregnancy without seeing the woman. You can't protect against coercion. You can't protect against an ectopic pregnancy because you can't diagnose it. And really, what all of the all of the commentary now should be around ending telemedicine abortion and remembering back as well to the fact that you know we were all told here uh, that you know we didn't want women taking pills uh, on their own in their house without having proper medical supervision. That's why we needed to repeat That was the, the argument of Tor- at the time, of course, but now we're doing exact. well, we did exactly the same thing, and as you may have said, Minister Donnelly uh, is still presiding over that. But look, it is and, a debate. And, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, no, I was just going to say that when Simon Harris, who was the then Minister for Health, when he introduced telemedicine abortion here in March 2020, it wasn't under the emergency legislation at the time of COVID. Uh, it was just a guidance introduced he said at that time that it was for the duration of the COVID pandemic. And yet here we are in 2023, we're at least a year a year past the end of other restrictions and other, other changes. And telemedicine abortion is still happening here. And, you know, there's every chance that we'll see a really difficult case arise here. Our woman being, being you know, um, her health or her, her life even being in jeopardy as a result of taking pills uh, on her own without medical supervision. So... We, you know, one of the things we should be doing is calling for the end to that now. And back on, on the point of your, your previous contributor about people voting for the repeal of the Eighth Amendment, and we've talked about this previously on your programme too, um, people have an entitlement to have some trust in the political process. And I think it's very cynical to say they voted for it. Good luck to them. The reality is that politicians give assurances uh, and we should be able to trust those assurances. Well, politicians give assurances at your front door every time there's an election, but we've heard politicians literally say on RTE, one particular very prominent politician said, don't believe what they say at the front door. You all know the politicians lie, and they do lie, and they change well, their minds. Well, that's why we, we need some fresh political, um, you know, some new people in politics, and I think okay. it's a very a big part of our campaign will be getting people involved, politically active, to, to bring some, you know, bring some change to the political process uh, in that regard and, and bring some humanity back. Well, listen, I thank you for joining us today, Eilish Mulroy, and uh, thank you very much indeed, spokesperson for the Pro-Life Campaign. Thank you for joining us. The multi-award-winning Niall Boylan Podcast. Listen live on Facebook, YouTube, and all the usual live stream services. To get in touch, just WhatsApp or text 85 The Niall Boylan Podcast. They told me to shut up. Available for download from all your usual platforms.